Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. You will hear from my Lions 24-7 colleagues, Daniel Gallen and Mark Brennan. A bit later here in the show, we'll give our regular Thursday episode breakdown of the Penn State uh, upcoming matchup, give you our players to watch, our storylines of the week, what we heard coming off of the Penn State practice field on a Wednesday evening, and also our final score predictions for Penn State versus Northwestern. That is the matchup on the slate this week, it's an 11 a.m. local kickoff time in Evanston uh, for us here on the East Coast. A noon kickoff, and Penn State will be looking to get to 5-0 and before that bye week hits. They come out of the bye week for homecoming against UMass, and then things get really real on the road at Columbus. They're looking to handle their business as a heavy favorite in this matchup. Thus far, if you hadn't been paying attention, Northwestern on the season 2-2, two and two, which when you consider how things were coming out of the summer – pretty good spot they've actually doubled their win total from 2022 and due in large part to some drama uh this past saturday rallied from 21 points down against minnesota to win in overtime so they've got some momentum coming into this matchup of course the nittany lions have plenty of their own momentum nine consecutive victories dating back to last year's run 
Uh, they have looked dominant thus far through nearly a month of the season. But to get better perspective on this Northwestern squad, we bring in Bradley Locker of Inside NU. And if he sounds familiar, that's because we had him on this podcast last year before Northwestern came to town for what was ultimately a slog of a game, Bradley. 17-7, to Penn State won that one. Five turnovers by the Nittany Lions. It was downpouring all afternoon and at that point we were still trying to figure out where Penn State season was going to lead they were unbeaten at that point but they didn't have nearly as much benefit of the doubt as they do right now they're number six in the country but can you give us a little bit of the background on Northwestern and to set the stage for our conversation where things were on let's say August 1st as preseason camp opened up and just a few weeks fresh off the firing of former program star and longtime head coach Pat Fitzgerald. Definitely. Well, great to be with you again, Tyler. I always love hopping on these podcasts, but it really was an incredibly difficult offseason for Northwestern. And starting with a pure football perspective, it was a Northwestern team that lost Peter Skaronsky, Adetama Adabare, Evan Hole. Those might be names that Penn State fans even recognize because they were pretty highly touted NFL draft prospects did well at the NFL Combine and the Senior Bowl or fifth fourth and even first round prospects that Northwestern had to lose and overcome entering this year. And it was a team that, as you mentioned, won one game a year ago, uh, facing a lot of pressure on Pat Fitzgerald if he had stayed as the head coach to go out and execute and win a game in America, something that hadn't happened since October of 2021. And then Fitzgerald was suspended for two weeks on July 7th after an external investigation found that hazing occurred in the program, but that Fitzgerald didn't know. And of course, groundbreaking reporting by the Daily Northwestern, Inside NU, Wildcat Report, ESPN, and many others uncovered that the level of hazing was beyond, I guess, what you would consider ordinary. It was very clear that it, uh, it was a long-standing practice at Northwestern was involved sexual coercive behavior, um, and also there were allegations of racism too that were seemingly running rampant within the program. So, uh, President Michael Schill made the decision to fire Pat Fitzgerald on July 10th, only three days after initially spending him for two weeks. And at that point, David Braun was elevated from the defensive coordinator of Northwestern to the interim head coach. And to provide additional background, this was going to be his first ever FBS job at any level. He has never been a head coach before this season, had never been in the Power Five or FBS subdivision before this. So talk about a huge jump. But I think Braun has responded very well. He's always handled uh, difficult questions at Big Ten Media Days in press conferences in stride with grace, with humility. And he feels like there's a real direction to this Northwestern team. And through four games, I think it's a much more composed team than a lot of us expected to see. It's a team that definitely can at least contend in some games. Of course, the talent differential between a team like Northwestern and Penn State or Northwestern and Duke is often so lopsided that there isn't really a great chance for Northwestern to try to compensate for that. But uh, I feel like this is a team that's at least a little scrappy and unlike in past years has shown it won't totally just roll over and die. Well, they opened the season and it, you know, it was a pretty clunky performance at Rutgers, a 24 to seven loss in Piscataway. It didn't send like, uh, like they were going to be, you know, uh, rallying the troops kind of message out of that game. I watched most of that. They bounced back with a win against UTEP 38 to seven in week two, uh, lost to a ranked Duke team uh, by, by 24 the following week on the road. And then last week they're trailing 31 to 10 in the fourth quarter and you think okay they're on their way to one and three you got penn state coming to town the wheels are coming off a bit and this is the exact spot where i figure most of the nation including myself thought with what happened in the summer and where that locker room might be right now they might just fold up like a tired old dog in that you know final fourth quarter and say just get to the finish line let, let's just move on from this instead 
They storm back. They win in overtime. And here they are at 500 for almost a month of the season. Can you take us through what exactly occurred and what you think it may serve for this program heading into the matchup against Penn State? I think it was monumental to get to that 500 mark, that two and two mark. And as you mentioned, the fact that they had already doubled their win total from a season ago. And it was the first time Northwestern had beaten a Big Ten West opponent uh, nearly three years at home. So Northwestern wow. moved to two and zero at Ryan Field in that comeback. And I think it was catalyzed really by much stronger defensive play, actually getting off the field on third down and kind of stopping the run once and for all and coming up and needing to make tackles in the hole, which has been a big problem for Northwestern all year. Don't get me wrong. The Wildcats are fifth most in the country uh, in missed tackles per pro football focus. So it's still a big problem. But for kind of the fourth quarter and overtime, Northwestern was definitely more sound. And that department has a really nice place from Xander Mueller, Coco Azuma, uh, kind of downhill to stop the run. And then, of course, Northwestern's offense just got into an absolute rhythm. And Minnesota's secondary, not exactly a really strong unit, but I feel like it was a pretty dominant showing from that Northwestern O, some good play calling from Mike Bajakian. Quarterback Ben Bryant just got totally in the zone, was was really locked in from that fourth quarter onward. Uh, and he kind of struggled a little bit in that first half, missed some deep shots. He was, was fully in stride in that fourth, did not really have any errant throws, any miscues whatsoever. He and Bryce Kurtz, pretty unstoppable. Kurtz had a uh, career best 215 yards. That was more than he had all of the 2022 season. And he literally just took over really in the fourth quarter. And uh, I think it was altogether a really sound performance from Brian. He suffered kind of a bit of a lower leg injury and people thought, oh, well, he might not even stay in this game. It could have to fall on the shoulders of the junior Brendan Sullivan. But Brian hung in there, was tough in the pocket, uh, even dealt with some pressure in Minnesota, got to him a little bit, but he was able to respond execute the game plan and literally the last play of regulation before kickoff of course was a must score touchdown for Northwestern he found AJ Henning wide open on a slant with a little kind of shoulder fake and I think it just exemplified the clutch element of this team which has been lacking severely in the last few years an element of resilience that Braun touched upon in his post-game press conference that uh that he understands that Northwestern is a team that needs to go out and really persevere through every single quarter and that was put on display in, in full effect against Minnesota. I think when it comes to this offensive attack when, and you look at, at how they want to you know, go downfield right now and, and what they're doing through the air, this is as pass-centric as I've seen the Wildcats in, in what feels like almost a decade, Bradley. I don't think I'm far off from that. And they're, they're doing it with a, with a new quarterback in town, Cincinnati transfer, Ben Bryant. I don't think we've learned much about this rushing attack. Uh, I don't know if this is the day for them to try to establish that. So I'd imagine there's going to be a lot of eggs in the basket of Bryant. Can you tell us about how this offense has looked and, and, and kind of the responsibility that has been put on the shoulders of this new quarterback in year one on campus? I would say I think Brian has borne a lot of the responsibility to execute on offense. And when he's been off, Northwestern's offense has really not done very much whatsoever. And in that first game against Rutgers, there were shots down the field that Brian just did not hit on. And he had a really rough day, probably one of the worst performances of his career altogether for a guy who's been a pretty solid quarterback, whether in four years at Cincinnati, one year at Eastern Michigan. But Brian was probably one of the major reasons why the team lost to the Scarlet Knights. He was inaccurate, had bad pocket movement. Uh, and, and turned the ball over multiple times. But he, he started to clean it up since then. Uh, he was better against UTEP, had more time to throw. Against Duke, it was kind of a game that Northwestern really was not going to win no matter what, just given how strong the Blue Devils are. But Bryant did have some nice moments, also had a turnover in that one. And then against Minnesota, I would say also kind of a mixed bag, although probably lean more toward the positive side of things with the way he uh, responded in the fourth quarter at 396 yards, four touchdowns, 
first Northwestern quarterback to have four touchdown passes in a game since Trevor Simeon in 2013. And I think a lot of it goes back to that fourth quarter and really how he looked in the second half. So I feel like through four games, it definitely is a pretty pass heavy offense an offense that needs the pass to convert and, and get in better position. But I feel like Northwestern still wants to be balanced on offense and try to establish the run. It's just the team has either been facing a big hole like it did against Rutgers or Duke and or has not had much success run blocking, which is a, it's still a big fundamental issue on this team, how well the offensive line can hold off, especially against a really stout Penn State defensive line. So definitely the, the receiver room has been pretty solid, whether it's the emergence of Cam Johnson and Arizona State transfer, Henning, the former Michigan transfer, or Kurtz, who's in his senior season. I feel like there are some solid pass catching options on this offense. And if Bryant is accurate and and pretty strong in the pocket, which he's tended to be more over the last three weeks, then uh, there could be some options maybe for Northwestern to attack the zones of Penn State a little bit. I'm, I'm curious to see how comfortable he's able to get in that pocket, especially early in the game, because we heard a lot of, I don't want to say similar things, but there was kind of a, a, a narrative like with Luke Altmaier at Illinois, you know, a new guy in town doing some exciting things with the offense. But if you got to totally depend on him against this Penn State defense, do the wheels come off? That was the question on that day. They had five turnovers offensively for Illinois. So I think what I'm looking for is, is what you said doesn't appear to be a strong spot or maybe even an average spot for Northwestern on the offensive line. On the flip side of that, we know the front seven right now and, and, and the way they're starting to peel back some layers with what Manny Diaz wants to do from a personnel standpoint. It's getting a little bit scary from that front seven for the Nittany Lions. So let's just say it out. Let's just put it out there. The Northwestern's defense is going to have to have some success because it's not going to be kind of playing catch up. I don't think for, for, for Northwestern offensively throughout the course of the day. So if that were to happen, how do they get it done? And what are your biggest concerns for the Wildcats defense in this matchup? You had referenced missed tackles. So I'd imagine that's high on the list. Yeah, definitely starts with just wrapping up the ball carry and, and, a team like Penn State, when you have Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, you have to understand, you have to stop the run. And I think Penn State's receiver room, probably not a, a super potent unit. Of course, Keandre Lambert-Smith has to be a focal point with his blazing speed for a Northwestern secondary that's held up pretty decently for the most part. There have been some coverage busts uh, throughout the year, but I feel like Garnett Hollis Jr. will probably be lined up against Lambert-Smith for much of this game. Aaron Johnson opposite him has definitely had uh, some weaker moments and, and hasn't been as consistent. So I feel like Northwestern kind of needs to to hone in on stopping the run, maybe even putting seven or eight in the box. And it's going to need guys like Rod Hurd, kind of the slot cornerback, Osmo, who I mentioned at safety, Devin Turner at safety, to to come up and, and actually stop these ball carriers in their tracks because there was a run on fourth and one by Darius Taylor, the star freshman from Minnesota. Northwestern had him stopped right there behind the line of scrimmage. He just broke one tackle, kind of shoved it off, ran right to the end zone, and it was a back-breaking play for the Wildcats defense. And you can only get away with doing that so many times against a team like Penn State, which doesn't turn the ball over, and which has, of course, the, the quarterback, Andrew Aller, who can who's flashed his talent for sure this year and probably a better quarterback than Northwestern fans are used to seeing from Penn State in the last few years. If you were to identify a, an X factor for for Northwestern in this matchup, that maybe could swing the pendulum of them being, uh, you know, competitive and putting Penn State on upset alert, or you know, seeing this one really get out of hand on its home turf, what would you say that is? I would point to probably two players on offense. Uh, you mentioned the rushing attack with Cam Porter has really not gotten going for much of this year, and I don't think Northwestern wants the game plan to be for Ben Bryant to continue to test this really ferocious secondary with Johnny Dixon and. Kalen King, and I don't know that Northwestern's receivers really are going to be able to separate very well against the secondary. So if not a lot of options are open downfield, that's when Brian could get into some trouble 
Uh, and as I referenced earlier, he really hasn't been super sharp on those really deep throws. So even if someone gets open down the field, like an AJ Henning, Bryant has to be able to hit those throws if Northwestern's going to pass a lot. But that's why I think there needs to be more balance. Northwestern needs to be able to make it less lopsided in the time of possession battle. And that's where the run game can start to be a factor. We've seen Joseph Hyman the second get some carries, but it really comes down to whether or not Cam Porter uh, has room to run. And when he does have room, how many tackles is he breaking? He's looked pretty strong for the most part this year. Not a lot of defenders have brought him down on first carry a ton, but he's also not the most explosive runner, doesn't have the quickest first step. So I think it's going to rely a lot on Cam Porter. And then I'd also go to A.J. Henning, the receiver. He's definitely had some productive moments in his early Northwestern career after coming over from the Wolverines with his former Gatorade player of the year in Illinois. He's found the end zone, I believe, three times, uh, including last week, as I mentioned, against Minnesota. But I think he's going to need to generate some type of field flipping play, whether it's an explosive punt return, which he hasn't really done so far as a wildcat or a deep shot that he and Bryant connect on if he somehow gets past the back end of that Penn State secondary. I feel like Henning is going to need to touch the ball a lot, whether it's through the pass, whether it's through the run on jet sweeps. But I think Henning needs probably to rip off at least a 20, 30-yard play, something that gets Northwestern into Penn State territory more than once if the Wildcats really want to have a chance in this one. All right, Bradley, we appreciate the perspective. It's prediction time. We're about to give our breakdown of the Penn State uh, side of things here. But how do you see this one playing out for, for Northwestern on Saturday afternoon? And ultimately, what is your score prediction? I think this is a Northwestern team that, that's definitely a little scrappy, a bit tenacious. But as I have alluded to, I just really don't think Northwestern can compete with a team as talented as Penn State. The Wildcats would need probably lots of mistakes from Penn State in order to really have a chance in this game, probably multiple turnovers, which it's asking a lot considering PSU has not had any uh, through four games. And even last year's game, 17 to seven, it was just a total slog as you as you noted, the, the rain was coming down in droves. And don't get me wrong, Northwestern's defense played pretty well against the run, but uh, forcing fumbles when the ball is that slick is a much different animal than doing it in probably an 80 degree, pretty perfect day from Ryan Field. So I feel like Northwestern's defense is going to have a big problem stopping the run and even defending a guy like Lambert Smith. Uh, I think there will be opportunities for Aller to kind of hang in the pocket. I don't think Northwestern is going to get much pressure uh, going up against Olufashano in this Penn State offensive line. Then on the flip side, I think Northwestern's offense is really going to have a hard day at the office. Going up against one of the best defenses in the country, I think the tackles, especially Caleb Tiernan and Josh Thompson are in for a rough go of it against Abdul Carter, Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac. Uh, the lineage of talent from Penn State's defensive line and I think what Penn State can do is really take away the receivers for Northwestern, which is kind of the one strength on this offense. So I have Penn State 37, Northwestern 7. I think Brendan Sullivan maybe gets in the end zone, the backup quarterback in garbage time, but should be pretty, pretty lopsided unless Penn State commits lots of unforced errors. Uh, Bradley Locker does a great job covering Northwestern Wildcats football for Inside NU. You've had more high points through four weeks than you expected. Like you said, we'll see if that continues on Saturday against the Nittany Lions. It's a tall task. Uh, appreciate all of uh, your perspective uh, from Mount Evanston. And, and uh, our guys will see you out there in the press box if you'll be up there. Absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to it. And thanks so much for having me on. All right. Uh, we'll move uh, over to the Penn State part of the equation here for the remainder of the show because the number six Nittany Lions looking to improve to 5-0 and before that bye week hits. And then returning home for UMass and then Big Ten play opening right back up on the road at Ohio State. Let's start to break those things down with Daniel Gallen and Mark Brennan back here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. What's going on, guys? Nothing much. It's a beautiful day, and it looks like it's going to be a beautiful weekend in Chicago. So it's uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to this one. 
How about young Bradley Locker? Wow. <laughs> that kid is plugged in. Great job. Great job. We know how to find him here. I mean, when, when we got to go outside of the network this year, we're two for two. Uh, big big booms with the uh, Delaware coverage and now uh, with this coverage from Northwestern. So we appreciate that. We're going to have to go find somebody for UMass. If you have a suggestion out there in the, in the podcast universe, uh, send us your suggestion there. Otherwise, we'll track somebody down. And then when Big Ten play resumes, we'll be locked and loaded with our 24-7 sports experts across conference campuses. But, guys, let's get into it with, with some of the uh, takeaways from the last 48 hours or so since we last sat down for a podcast. Um, and I think we'll, we'll go right back to what we did just about 30, 40 minutes ago, which was sit down for a phone call, a Zoom call with Marcus Hagens, wide receivers coach in his first year with Penn State. And this is a position group that uh, among all of them on the roster will probably have spent a lot, the most time on this podcast discussing in terms of wondering what it's going to look like when this team is firing all, on all cylinders offensively and really in the second half of the season after that UMass game and after this bye week and who's going to really be on the rise. And Daniel, I'm curious, you were documenting this call, kind of the play-by-play of it uh, for our uh, people on the board at Lions247.com and our VIP subscribers. So what stood up to you from the conversation before we get to some of the takeaways on individual guys? What do you think were, were some overarching themes from Marcus Higgins? I think that we're continuing to hear the the same refrain that we've heard with the wide receiver group dating back to, I guess, the spring in terms of looking for that consistency, you know, wanting guys to show up on a daily, you know, weekly, nightly basis um, and be able to contribute to the team. Um, you know, Marcus Higgins has, has really harped on that. Um, I think the last couple of times we've talked to him since I think I believe we talked to him once in August um, after a practice, he's, you know, he's led it, you know, he's mentioned a couple guys being consistent. Um, but when he talks about like when he's asked about specific players, but, you know, when he's talking about that group as a whole, um, you know, he does bring up the consistency. That's something that he's really looking to see. Uh, he wants to see uh, better blocking uh, on the outside. That was something that came up today uh, in terms of, you know, springing the the running backs for some some more explosive gains. So, you know, I think that this is a group that has a you know, has some work to do um, on Saturdays in terms of really really making its mark. Um, I think that Marcus Higgins knows that. Um, so, you know, we'll see how that you know shines through. But yeah, I think that Marcus Higgins, you know, he knows what this group needs to do. Um, you know, he also knows kind of how the games are going. Uh, in terms of what opportunities they have. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what this ends up looking like on Saturday. Mark, you were on that call too. And, and, and I let it off by asking about Keandre Lambert Smith and, and Marcus Higgins talked about the, the consistency. They just keep stacking it and stacking it and stacking it. And I think thus far, Keandre Lambert Smith has certainly looked the part and the snaps reflect that. Um, but beyond him, we have such a collection and, and Daniel and I were talking about this on, on Tuesday it's just kind of a revolving door thus far, and you're not quite sure who are the three or four outside of Liam Clifford who's getting his allotment in the slot. He's playing about probably 50% or 40% of the total snaps there in the slot, and, and other people are filling in the rest. But, Mark, who are you most curious about? I mean, it's it's a deep list. Harrison Wallace, Omari Evans, uh, some of the homegrown talent. you got Malik Mega. We, maybe we'll see him back after three-game absence. He was involved at practice. But then you've got the transfers. Malik McLean, it's, it's been kind of a roller coaster ride for him. And then Dante Cephas, who's had a steady uptick in snap count, but not that uptick in production at this point. Who is who is the guy that you think maybe could be that, that, that dynamite that could be lit? And by the time we get into mid-October or even early November – they're on a different level in terms of how we view this offense. 
Yeah, I think without question, Trey Wallace. I mean, this is a guy that that we that the coaching staff was talking up, and 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 we had heard a lot of really good things about uh, through camp, but he's been bumped up. Uh, if he's healthy, you know that that that's an, a, another one uh, A type receiver. I mean, obviously, it was good that you asked about Keandre first because he talked about the consistency, as you mentioned, but that very consistency as Daniel noted is what's missing from everybody else and when we when we went into this season what were we saying we're saying one of the real keys for this receiving core is to not have that one guy who has all of these catches and then your next receiver is you know 20 30 catches or whatever behind and right now that's what we're trending at I mean Kelly Jerry Lambert Smith with 21 uh Harrison Wallace with with 10. And again, part of that is because he's been banged up, but I, I just think you need more consistency across the board. So beyond Harrison Walsh, the two guys that that I really think have an opportunity to do some things, and this isn't a knock on Liam Clifford because I think he's been good in his role, uh, but I really think Cephas, what we saw from him, it, it, it wasn't a lot last week, but the burst that we saw from him, and that was somebody else that Marcus Higgins talked about uh, today, the fact that you know, and I think you may have asked him about him as well. One of you guys asked yeah. him about it, but he's he's you know what nine ten weeks in being at Penn State. People have to remember he was not a mid year arrival. This guy didn't arrive until the summer, and he's still learning. And, and what Hagen said is, you know, it's his best days are going to be ahead of him. And I think what we saw athletically from him, and the fact that they had the confidence to go with him as a starter when Wallace was banged up and Malik McLean. Uh, obviously struggled against Illinois. Uh, you know, he he's one guy. And then the other guy is Caden Saunders. Again, just from what we – you know, I know he had a bit of a rough game returning punts, but I like the 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 wiggle we're seeing out of him. I like the, the, the kind of the juice that he's bringing. So those are two guys that I would really look – you know, to – how how much are their roles going to expand? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to keep trying to get as many receivers as possible in there. But I, those are two guys beyond Harrison Walls, who I think Harrison Walls is the guy that they need to step up. But then those other two guys are the, the, the ones I would be looking for. And a reminder that you had Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson playing as many snaps as Keandre Lambert-Smith last week. And then there's a gulf uh, between all them and all the other pass catchers. So you've got those two tight ends carving into those opportunities. Uh, and I think the little bit of recency bias here, because I, I, I'm with you on Dante Cephas, and I do think you know, we kept hearing from Marcus Higgins, hammering it in his answer there. His best days of football are ahead of him. His best days of football are ahead of him. And you do have to remember, you know, not having those 15 spring practices under his belt with this quarterback and this offensive scheme and this wide receivers coach, that, you know, that's going to set you back no matter how much experience you have at whatever level of football you played before this. So um, we haven't seen him step up and look like a starting caliber talent with routine yet this season. But I'll tell you what, we sometimes you can't look too far in a starting lineup for this team. But if he's in that starting lineup again for a second week in a row, that to me is notable because it shows that he's sustained something here for, for a second consecutive week. And, and they're going into a bye week. So it's a chance for him to really maybe do something with that role. But if we see Harrison Wallace back as the starter opposite of Keandre Lambert-Smith, then that tells us that he's in a really good spot from a health standpoint. A couple of weeks ago, he was cleared to play medically. The Penn State coaching staff didn't think he would be where he needed to be to, to help them go score points. Last week was a different story, but he was in a second team role. So it, it looks like a stepping stones thing rather than him just being right back to where they wanted. And, and then if it's somebody else, whether it's an Omari Evans or Malik McClain, 
then it's kind of like, all right, well, this is a, you know, it's a revolving door at that starting position. And it's kind of just, you know, no one has really uh, asserted themselves there. So uh, we'll keep tabs on that. I think it's it's worth noting here that while there's some questions at receiver, there's been some reinforced uh, sentiment that this offensive line is on the right track, Daniel Gallon, uh, because we, I, I think we wanted to get through a few games here. We really wanted to get through these first couple Big Ten matchups against teams that wanted to attack Penn State in ways that were really going to challenge this offensive line in a substantial way for 60 minutes of football. And it may have taken three quarters or two and a half quarters in both, in, both instances, but this unit of seven guys or sometimes eight guys or nine guys has broken down that barrier. That rushing game has gotten going late in games. They've put away contests and they've protected Drew Aller along the way. One sack allowed. They got the Joe Moore recognition this week, which goes to an offensive line unit on a weekly basis. I know that's an award that even when they've been mentioned as nominees for in past years, James Franklin has brought it up in press conferences. So there's some pride there. And then some words that I heard from Salim Wormley, and I think you may have been on the call as well, Daniel. Uh, he talked about grinding out that game. And, and while as much as it sounds great to go and have a one-two play possession where you have a bomb touchdown and you're celebrating on the sidelines, he described the process of going 12, 14, 15 plays, and you're out there sweating, you're breathing hard, you're tired with your brothers out there, but at the end of it, you're in the end zone, and you see the look of the defenders' faces, and they and they just couldn't stop you. They did everything they could, and they could not. And that's just a, a way of playing football that we have not really heard from offensive line interviews on this campus since I've been covering the team. Uh, the wheels are turning in the right direction still. I think we can confirm that, Daniel. Yeah, it was, it was kind of funny to hear uh, Wormley say that because uh, I talked to him after the uh, the season opener and I asked him what it was like to be on the field for the you know 72-yard touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith. And uh, <laughs> Wormley said, oh, yeah, it was great because we didn't have to finish the drive. We we just got to go right to the sideline. Um, but you know, I think we've talked about it a lot where you know, we really haven't seen Penn State win games like this uh what and the way that they're grinding it out you know it's not really a, a slog you know i i heard bradley locker talk about that northwestern game last year the 17-7 game i mean i think you can make the case that penn state grinded that one out but it was not pretty not pleasant not efficient um but the way that they've been doing it so far is has been kind of the the opposite where you know, you're not getting those big plays, but they're efficient. They're moving the chains. You know, they're getting themselves into these third and manageables, fourth and manageables, uh, where they can keep drives going. Um, and I think that we're just really seeing a Penn State team that is exerting it, its will over opponents. And I think that James Franklin has really noticed. Phil Troutwine has really noticed. I think that the guys on the rest of the team have really noticed. Um, you asked James Franklin on Wednesday night, I think, about you know, giving the player of the week award to, you know, those seven starting offensive linemen. And, you know, James Franklin said that, you know, this isn't a participation trophy thing. It's not a feel good thing that, you know, they're giving you know that honor to guys that they really saw step up and, and really make big plays. So, you know, I think that there is something different about this offensive line this year. Maybe it's, you know, being at this point uh, under Phil Troutwine in terms of recruiting and development, um, you know, maybe it's just having a veteran group. Maybe JV Nelson has just added a lot of nastiness uh, to that to that unit. Um, but it is really, really showing through. And you know, I think that for so long, 
the question about Penn State was always, you know, are the Lions going to be able to hold up? Are the Lions going to be able to hold up? You know, especially after in the in the post sanctions era when Franklin first got here. So to see them to be at this point and making this type of impact, um, I think that it really shows the growth. And I think through the recognition from Franklin, through that Joe Moore recognition, it's kind of you know putting things on notice that you know this offensive line you know, is, is here and it's one that can be successful. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Couple more quick notes from that conversation with Salim Wormley. Um, he was he was quick to point out that he was surprised to feel as fresh as he does right now in the final week of September after playing four football games and 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 these methodical drives the way they have. Uh, he says they are noticing that this rotation is having an impact. He says they hope they keep it up because it just feels different late in games. It feels different when they're recovering from games. And Venga Ioane is a third starting guard. So you've got three guys sharing that wealth with J.B. Nelson and then Salim Wormley, of course. And uh, Drew, Drew Shelton's going to continue to get his work as that third tackle. And others will be sprinkled in as well. But Franklin identifying those as seven starters. And, and then uh, I think Salim Wormley uh, also said uh, something that caught my attention for sure was he said it felt like his his center is is never left from last year. He feels like he still has the same center in this offense. And that was a huge compliment to Hunter Norzad because, you know, losing Juice Scruggs, who played at as high a level, I think, at that position of anyone in this conference, um, moving on in the second round NFL draft pick, Hunter Norzad has filled that seamlessly by a lot of accounts in terms of his accountability within the game and making decisions, making the right calls. And he is pointed to routinely as one of the, if not the toughest member of this offensive line, which is a good characteristic for your center who's got to stick up for that young quarterback at times. So uh, I think they're on a really good track right now. And of course, when they're playing this way, you look to the ground game. I think it may surprise some folks right now. I know I was a bit surprised. They rank second in, in the in the Big Ten Conference right now in rushing yards per game. Uh, there are 210 yards on the ground per contest, 4.4 yards per carry overall with 10 touchdowns. Uh, that's the second highest scoring total on the ground as well this season. And meanwhile, you'll find Northwestern in the basement 
Mark Brennan, when it comes to their rush defense. They're giving up almost 190 on the ground, nine touchdowns thus far through four matchups, and they haven't faced the Penn State offense quite yet or the Nick Singletons and Catron Allens of the world. To me, this feels like every opportunity for that feel-good breakout party you want to see from this backfield right before you get into a bye week. You put them in bubble wrap again, and then you unleash them on the Big Ten for the second half of play. Yeah, I was tempted to just revisit my uh, bold prediction from last week and just make it this week's bold prediction, but 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 I did not. But I, I do think uh, there there is something to be said for going into that bye week, getting the ground game into really, really high gear. And I, I would not be at all surprised if the coaching staff puts this game in the hands of the offensive line and said, listen, guys, you know, we want to grind this thing out again. Uh, we want to get out of this thing as healthy as possible. You know, we want we want to win relatively comfortably if we can. And uh, it's up to you to get the job done. And, and, and let's see if they could do it. Because, listen, th this is shaping up as the deepest offensive line they've had since that great 1994 one. Now I'm not putting it in, the, in in that category, but I think when you have this level of starters and this level of depth, uh, the things that they're going to be able to do when they get into tough games. And, and that's why I think it's important to, in this game, have that running game, you know, just really cranking up because there's going to come a time and we've seen it how many times when they've played in Ohio State and they've had a lead and they've been unable to put that game away because the ground game wasn't working. And I think building and building, yeah, they're going to talk about one game at a time, going 1-0, going 1-0, that, that's all great. But I think being able to get the confidence level to the point where you know that if you get to that spot, and that's what I loved about that game last week. I mean, everybody was like, no explosive plays, no explosive plays. Well, yeah, I mean, of course you would have preferred to have some explosive plays, but the fact was you didn't get them, and, and yet you still just beat that team into oblivion. You know, running 97 plays overall, that, that gigantic field goal drive, you know, that was, what, 17 players or whatever the hell it was. I mean, those things are all positive signs moving forward. And, again, the way the schedule breaks down, I thought I, – I mentioned it earlier this week. I thought it would have been great if Penn State would have been facing Ohio State this week. But that's not the way the schedule works. So now you have Northwestern, you have a bye, and you have UMass. The goal now is to get to that Ohio State game as healthy as possible. And I think putting this game in the hands of the offensive line is going to allow them to do that. To your point, I think we have seen this offense show its put-away ability with the ground game, uh, late in games. You want to see them, like you said, hand the ball to them in the first quarter on the first drive and say, march it down the field or zip down the field, however, whatever right. you got to do on the ground, set the tone early. That hasn't been the case thus far. They've done it with the, the passing game sometimes early in games. It's taken a little while to set the tone, like last time they hit the road in the Big Ten. Uh, we'll find out soon enough out in Evanston. Meanwhile, as the offensive line is out there uh, sweating and working their way through these games, you got the defense uh, able to, to enjoy the view and, and watch Drew Aller put in a lot of work this season uh, because everyone will tell you, James Franklin down to the defensive players, they've essentially wiped out a game's worth of work through one month of this season because of the snap count. James Franklin put it at 86 fewer snaps than this time at the point when they were 4-0 in 2022. And so, Daniel, obviously we're thinking down the road this is going to pay off from a health standpoint, but each week the imagination of Manny Diaz uh, shows up in something a little bit different 
I am really curious to see what exactly he wants to put out, not just to, to, to mess with Northwestern and put them in a terrible position and keep the avalanche of, of takeaways going, but just to put out there for a couple of weeks for other opposing staffs to have to parse through about what Penn State is bringing to the football field these days with their defense. Yeah, I'm I'm curious if if we'll see that. Uh, well, actually, I, I think we'll see a lot of the the three defensive end package uh, that we saw last week. I mean, when you you factor in that you know, Northwestern has you know thrown the ball you know, decently well this year, I think James Franklin said that Ben Bryant is probably the best pure passer that that they've seen this year, and you assume that the Penn State defense is going to get Northwestern into some third and longs, so you can really pin your ears back and. And make some things happen. I think that you have some intriguing matchups in terms of the the cornerbacks and the Northwestern wide receivers too. Um, but you know, the one element that I am curious to see how it develops, how it grows over these next couple of weeks is that four linebacker package. I think when I went through and uh, you know rewatched those defensive snaps again, thanks to I thank you Iowa for making it easy to watch every single defensive snap. Uh, we we only saw it three times. Um, and it led to two Iowa incompletions and then the uh, Cade McNamara scramble uh, for or bootleg for 18 yards, which uh, on a call with Curtis Jacobs on Wednesday, he brought that up himself uh, and took full responsibility, um, you know, for for misplaying that to, to lead there. But, yeah, I think that when you when we saw that, I think the first place that a lot of people's heads went was to Michigan um, and, you know, being in a, a pounded out game like that. Um, you know, I am really curious to see how that look evolves. And, you know, I'm I'm with you. I mean, is Manny Diaz going to put anything else on tape uh, in terms of different packages, different blitzes, different formations? Um, you know, we've talked to some of these defensive players and, you know, they are having a really, really good time playing for Diaz. And, you know, I think the word fun has really come up a lot. Um, and he's just putting these guys in in positions to get turnovers and, you know, get success. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious to see what this looks like. I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for turnovers uh, this week, whether that's, you know, through interceptions or, or meeting at the quarterback for a strip sack. So you know, we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, I, I, I think it's really interesting what you mentioned there about, about the cornerback wide receiver matchup. We can get into that a little bit later I, I, as we get to our players of the game because it does feel like that's a definitive issue for Northwestern. If, if that's what they rely upon thus far is attacking that perimeter, going downfield, testing the teams vertically or, or trying to come back that way, this is not the Penn State team to, to be tested in, in that manner. Um, I, Penn State really hasn't had to rely on an infusion of newcomers thus far. I mean, you, you think back to where they were at the end of September last year. You had uh, guys emerging all over the field in, in year one with the program. You had Mitchell Tinsley as a starting uh, guy entrenched in your starting lineup. You had a couple running backs on their rise, obviously, in Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. Uh, across the field, Abdul Carter. I don't think he had started a game yet, but you know what he ended up accomplishing. You had multiple guys on the, on the defensive front, burning red shirt. Um, and now I, I think you assess the situation here and you say, well, Penn State's doing it with relatively the same team that we saw wrap up the season last year in the Rose Bowl. Now, Drew Aller, who was in mop-up duty out there in Pasadena, now has the keys to the car as the starting quarterback. But it was just something that crossed my mind today when I was putting together the rundown for the show is just – 
how much of the, the same group that has bridged that gap through the offseason, and now here they are maturing even more. A lot of those guys are already experienced veterans. They're ready to embark on their second or third or even fourth campaign and, and, and full-on conference action. Um, and I think it makes me wonder – how to those freshmen and transfers who've largely been luxury pieces thus far outside of the special teams unit where they needed to be the guys at punter and kicker because of, of competition reasons there. Uh, but uh, whether it's at wide receiver with the Cephas or, or Trey Potts and, and, and the, some of the splashes that he might be able to make. But I think I, I'm just really impressed by the fact that in college football where roster changeover is everything now, uh, Mark, and everyone wants the immediate gratification boost. You know, you lost Alonzo Ford to an injury. You're still waiting for some of these transfer wide receivers to really emerge and show up in a big way. Uh, the, the cornerback that you brought in on Davian Collins is going to be a special teams contributor, but that's about it right now. And then a lot of these freshmen have been scattered in special teams coverage units or maxing out at maybe 10 to a dozen snaps in a game. I think that's very exciting for the long-term ceiling in the next eight games and beyond. I, I think the bigger message, though, is the lack of impact players they have who are entering the transfer portal. You know, I think you look at a lot of these schools and it's basically like a revolving door. Okay, you're, you're losing these guys and then you're going to go over and, you know, come come to this school and, and get some players from there. And, and I think what you're going to see over the next few years, and I know that Colorado is an outlier with this, with the way that, that Coach Prime has rebuilt that program and it's been impressive what he did. And it's going to be inter interesting to see how many people try to follow that model. But I think the teams that are going to be consistently in that college football playoff or, you know, whatever gets to however many teams are going to be the ones who are able to use the transfer portal to supplement. You know, if you're fortunate enough to bring in a Chop Robinson or an AK, you know, tr tremendous. But you can't rely on that every single year because I think you need the structure and, and, and you can see the way guys kind of fit in here. I mean, they've done a really nice job with that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it is it, when you you could look at it from the perspective of not a lot of new players are are making an impact, but I think the other side of that is there wasn't a lot of room because even with the guys you lost to the NFL, you had so many key players coming back. Going back to your previous point about the Rose Bowl, you had so many key players coming back, and I think that says something about the coaching staff. I mean, we see turnover everywhere. And to have, you know, the, the limited turnover that they've had among their elite players, among their, their best players, I think actually says something about the job that James Franklin and his staff and the whole program is doing. Because in this era of NIL, that can't be an easy thing, but they're somehow to, to, to date pulling it off. Yeah, I want to make clear. I'm not. I'm not saying they they didn't bring in talented guys. Yeah. They just they had they have. Uh, we talked about the depth. It's shown up. They've been healthy. Uh, and the cool part about this is because of the way that they've blown out teams and the way they've been able to distribute snaps is if you are in a, a situation where you've got to go down your depth chart at cornerback or safety or offensive guard or offensive tackle or defensive end, you've got a guy there who's got some seasoning now. He's got a couple games of of some serious run under his belt. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that. I think this Northwestern game is going to be a really good opportunity. If it goes as we think it will, we'll talk about predictions in a few minutes, then it should be another great opportunity for Penn State to not only you know, pull back the reins on some of those lead horses on this roster and make sure that they get into the bye week healthy, but also to take another look and, and get some more uh, work for, for some younger components and, and some of these other guys. And then like Dante Cephas, never know when that you know might moment might come on where a, a new guy uh, you know, asserts himself with this program. So 
Tyler, um, so one guy, one guy, one, we, one guy we should mention, yeah. Tyler, is is Trey Potts. Yeah. Because I'm just telling you, you know, n- knock on wood that everybody stays healthy. But if one of those top running backs gets banged up, I mean, that guy is is going to be gold. I mean, he already is contributing on special teams and as a backup uh, and as a leader in that room because he's a veteran guy. But to and that's my point to be able to bring in that caliber of player. I mean, that's like unbelievable when you look at it. And again, let's hope that every college football player stays healthy. But we know in reality that's not the case. But if one of those kids gets banged up, I mean, the fact that you have a Trey Potts, I mean, that's like that, that is really, really. Re- th- those are the things that are really, really important for the best teams. Uh, in terms of you know you want to be able to go in there and compete. We we're not we're we're two years removed from that Iowa game where Penn State had a QB go down and had no answer, and it unraveled the entire season. Uh, and they're not in that spot now. They're they're in a good spot with their depth just about everywhere. Yeah, and then you, you factor in some guys that we just haven't seen much of at all, and uh, in, in some of those talented running backs: Cam Wallace, London Montgomery, the tight end Andrew Rapier. Um, and, and you just think about the, there's a lot of luxury right now involved with Penn State with where they are from a roster perspective. There are teams across the conference that would need to throw these guys into the fire from the first month and then let them figure it out on the fly. Right now, they're able to do a lot of that with training wheels on the practice field. That's good for program health. That's good for building something. And Daniel, I didn't want to uh, go past this and, and go right to our other players to watch and our predictions without mentioning Khalil Dinkins in the conversation we had. Uh, we're kind of used to hearing from some of the other players. Akeem Beeman was up with us and, and Daquan Hardy. And, and I can tell you after Wednesday practice, they were exuding confidence after watching their film uh, from that last game and, and what they're building moving forward. I know Hakeem Beeman feels like they really took things up to another level when they got Vanover and Izzard and Hardy back on the football field in week three. Um, they're starting to really bring their chest a little bit, really trusting in Manny Diaz. You can pick up on all that. We can really pick up on the confidence with this team and, and within Khalil Dinkins about what he has going on as a redshirt sophomore. You're not going to have Tyler Bourne and Theo Johnson forever here. The tight end room moves on. The standards always very high. We know that there's some young talent within this program. They'll add it. They'll be adding to that next year as well. So Khalil Dinkins is in a really interesting spot here as the kind of in-between man. And thus far, he's answered the bell as not just tight end three, but as a versatile piece in that, you know, the T formation, as you love to always point out to us and, and, and tweet. And then we also get to see him hit the end zone on a big fourth down catch. What stood out from the conversation with the young man whose father spent about a decade in the NFL at the tight end role? Yeah, I, I think Khalil Dinkins factors into a little bit of what Mark was talking about earlier in terms of not needing to go into the transfer portal uh, to, you know, a lot and kind of the the depth. You know, I think that it's a testament to how the personnel staff and the coaching staff has recruited and developed where, you know, you look at, you know, kind of the the draft picks who left last year where, you know, Jair Brown leaves. And then you look at, they have all these safeties that they can choose from, you know, to fill that role. Joey Porter Jr. leaves. You've got Johnny Dixon and Cam Miller waiting. Uh, Brenton Strange leaves, you know, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, Khalil Dinkins. Um, you know, I, I think that it really speaks to, you know, what Penn State ha- has been able to do. I think wide receiver is the exception there. And you saw them go into the portal uh, to try to to fill in for Parker Washington and, and Mitchell Tinsley. Um, so I just wanted to, to highlight that there. But, you know, going back to Cleo Dinkins, it was, you know, nice to to talk to him and to to hear from him because he's someone that you know, I think is, you know, kind of on a, a borderline of having a, a really, really big role 
Um, you know, we saw Penn State really rotate last year with Strange, Warren, and Johnson. I think that looking at, I don't have the season snap counts in front of me, but I don't think there's been quite as much uh, Dinkins as the third tight end getting worked in outside of, you know, the T and a couple other uh, 13 personnel packages. And, you know, he, he said that, but he said that the fact that they're using so much 12 personnel just speaks to the confidence that they have in that room um, in those tight ends. Uh, he said that it was a really good feeling to have Drew Aller's trust on a fourth down play, you know, to go to him for a touchdown. Um, you know, I think that we saw last year uh, he caught that touchdown pass from Aller in the Ohio game. Um, so those are two guys that have really had a chance to work together. Um, and, you know, you talked about Khalil Dinkins, father who played in the NFL Khalil Dinkins is playing with his brother, uh, Colin, who a cornerback who has been able to really carve out a role uh, on special teams. I mean, I think that I would have to go back and, and look at those kickoff coverage teams, but you know, he might be the only walk on or one of only you know two walk ons who's been able to crack that depth chart there. And, you know, Khalil Dinkins said that he you know always tries to keep his brother motivated. Um, yet he knows how hard it is like that. You know, I think Khalil Dinkins is very aware of who the other cornerbacks are <laughs> in that room and you know what it might be like to be at the bottom of that food chain. Um, but he said that, you know, he is just having a, a, a fun time, you know, watching his brother um, and everything. And he brought up the T formation. We had a, a lot of uh, a lot of questions to uh, to Dinkins about that. And, you know, he said that, uh, you know, he had a nice one liner asked about, you know, why why does it seem like the Penn State fans are you know, you know, really like that formation or are always excited when they see it out on the field. And he said that, well, it's usually because when it's on the field that they're going to score <laughs> um, that you know, when it's out there and we saw it last year, they don't even have to be near the end zone uh, to put that out there to score uh, with guys like Nick Singleton. So, you know, Dinkins said that he just put in a lot of hard work uh, in this off season. Um, you know, when Brenton, they knew Brenton strange was leaving uh, and that left that, you know, vacancy in, in the middle of the T, but also on the depth chart. Um, and Dinkins said that he just really went out and, you know, tried to earn that spot by grinding it out. And his coaches recognized that. So, you know, I think that he's someone that we could see more of as the season goes on, um, you know, especially if the wide receiver depth chart doesn't necessarily develop, you know, the way that it should or that Penn State might need it to. Um, but I think that he's someone who knows his role um, you know, every time he goes out there, he knows he's going to get the opportunity to make a play. So he's really trying to make the most of it. Let's talk about some other players on this squad, guys. Players to watch Penn State versus Northwestern on Saturday. Um, Mark, we're going to let you lead off this. We'll work our way to Daniel and then I'll finish off with my player. I tipped my hand a little bit earlier uh, by saying I think it'd be wise for the coaching staff to put this game in the hands of the offensive line. And I'm going to go with somebody who kind of personifies that and Hunter Norzad. So I know that's thinking outside of the box a little bit, but uh, I really do T keep your eye on that offensive line and let's see if they're able to continue what they established against Iowa. I think that would be a really good sign for this program going into the bye week and then into the following week scrimmage against UMass. Uh, so that, uh, that, that is my player to watch. Hunter Norzad kind of representing that entire offensive line. Norzad was the staff's pick for, for player of the week on offense. Uh, last time at the road against Illinois, and then he took part in sharing that 
honor this past game against Iowa. Daniel, what do you got for us? I'm going to stick on the theme of our call earlier today with Marcus Hagens and go with Dante Cephas. Um, I think the fact that we saw him get into the starting lineup, we saw him get a bunch of reps against Iowa. Um, it seems like things are, the arrow is pointing up for him. Um, and I think that it's probably only a matter of time before you know, we see a big play from him, you know, by the time or that, we, and then we see, you know, what we saw on that Kent, Kent state film uh, translate over to the big 10. I think this is a good opportunity to do that, you know, for Penn state to try to hit on some explosive plays. Uh, and I assume that Dante Cephas is going to have plenty of opportunities to make that happen. Um, ben Bryant has played a ton of football, uh, the, the quarterback for Northwestern and going back to 2021, he doesn't have a lot of multi-interception games, but I think he's going to get tagged with one today. He's only got two multi-interception games. Again, he's playing every week since the start of 2021 season. Kaylin King is where I'm going here. Uh, I think Ben Bryant, this passing attack, they're going to be feeling pretty good about themselves. And I think early on, it makes sense for them considering what we know about this matchup, what we know about Penn state. Why not? Why not air it out a little bit? See if you can keep, keep you know, connect on some sparks early in this game. I think Northwestern's coaching staff, they should be very aware that it's, it's important for them to, to establish as much carryover from that excitement. Last time they were on the football field into the early stages of this game, we've talked about it potentially being a snooze fest. Mark, you sent a really interesting text to us yesterday. 38,000 combined fans for the first couple home games at Northwestern. Penn State's played in front of what an average of 109,000 fans a week in their home stadium. So uh, you're at risk of Penn State kind of being like, "Whoa, wake, wake me up uh, after the first quarter." So can Northwestern take advantage of that? And I think can they lean on their passing game? Ben Bryant's going to test it out. I think the answer will be resounding no. And Kalen King will finally get some of those targets that he's been asking for the last few <laughs> weeks. And I think he'll come down with an interception. I don't know if they'll look his way much, uh, much more than that, but just his ability, whether he's coming down with an interception or not to essentially shut down a quadrant of the field for this passing attack is going to be so demoralizing for them. They don't have the talent to really respond to that. Penn State has the uh, supplemental pieces in this defensive secondary and the pass rush, to, I think, to make it a long day for Bryant and force him in one of those uncharacteristic multi-turnover games. He did throw a couple picks uh, in his Big Ten starting debut at Rutgers in week one. Um, and uh, bold predictions, regular predictions. Uh, Daniel, you're going to lead us off this time around. Uh, spoiler alert, we're all going for Penn State to enter the bye week unscathed. Oh, man, I was I was really I uh, wanted some suspense there with, with my uh, with my with my pick. Um, I'll start with the bold prediction. We've talked about this Northwestern run defense uh, not being that good <laughs> um, and being something that Penn State should really be able to take advantage of, especially based on how the offensive line is playing. Um, so for bold prediction, I've got Nick Singleton going for 150 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, both of those touchdowns will be from at least 25 yards. Uh, and Katron Allen will tack on another 80 yards and a touchdown of his own. Um, you know, even though I did just pick a, a wide receiver as a as a player to watch, I do think that this will be this game will be dictated on the ground. Um, and I think that Penn State has the horses to really, really make that happen. Um, and I think that that'll lead to a final score of 40 to 10. Mark, what do you have for us? Yeah, I'm sticking with the ground game as well, but I'm going in a little different direction. I don't know that anybody's going to rack up that many yards individually. Uh, I'm saying that four different Penn State ball carriers are going to score touchdowns. 
and one of them is going to be a wide receiver. I think we'll see a little bit of trickeration just because, uh, you know, they want to keep uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith, uh, you know, keep him focused and make sure you get him the ball in different ways. They tried it last week. It didn't really work, but I think they'll go uh, back to it maybe on some sort of inside sweep or something, and and you have four different players uh, score rushing touchdowns. With respect to the score, you know, I watched a lot of the Northwestern-Minnesota game. That was 31-10 to 10 with just over 12 minutes to go, and that's a pretty bad uh, Minnesota team. So all respect to Northwestern for clawing its way back and showing the fight, but this is a decidedly not bad Penn State team, and I just don't think Northwestern has the horses to stay up to speed. Don't know that it's going to be an immediate blowout. I know a lot of us are talking about the 11 a.m. kick, you know, 20,000 fans, whatever it's going to be, but I look at Penn State cruising 38-7. to 7. Yep. Um, I'm pretty close to the margin with you guys. I'll get to that in a second. I'll start with my bold prediction. I think that explosive play conversation at least gets put on on, on ice for a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll pick it back up before the Ohio State matchup eventually. But I think the explosive plays show up in this game from both the running game and the passing game. Three touchdowns that go 25-plus yards uh, combined. Three different Nittany lines uh, d- doing that. Uh, and so uh, it'll, I think that'd be great to see. You want to look at what you want to see this team kind of uh, going in into the bye week doing. You'd like to get some more highlights on that reel of guys going long distance. And Nick Singleton, you're looking at him in, in this game, specifically with Northwestern's issues tackling, wrapping up. And you can look at both running backs. But I think we're all been curious. Nick Singleton, we're getting a little bit deeper into year number two. And that haven't been part of his highlight package thus far. Does that change this Saturday? I think it does. Um, for, for a final score going 45 to 10, uh, Penn State, again, I think multiple turnovers forced for the fourth consecutive game. Um, and ultimately, uh, Penn State really looks the part. This might be a game where we we're getting close to halftime and the fans are grumbling and our message board's a little bit grumpy and they're waiting for the Nittany Lions to, to really pour it on. And I think by the time you get to the final score and you look at the final stat sheet, you say, well, yeah, that, that's really what it should look like. 45 to 10, Penn State handling its business heading to the bye week. You guys will be out in Evanston covering this matchup. Uh, I guess it'll be uh, breakfast or brunch out in the press box, whatever it is. I, I hope they take good care of you. And we'll catch up with Daniel on the post-game podcast Saturday. And, of course, everyone at Lions 24-7 uh, can follow our coverage uh, before, during, after the game. But this is a game that you're going to want to follow before. they got the travel roster restrictions, so we'll be curious to see who gets left behind on campus. And then the status report pregame uh, relatively early in the morning on Saturday. But guys, thanks for breaking things down here with the preview on the podcast. Get out there safe and we'll talk to you real soon. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. All right. Good stuff from Daniel and Mark. And before that, Bradley Locker of Inside NU, who gave us a great lowdown on the Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, Penn State versus Northwestern, noon kickoff here on Saturday. Again, full coverage. We've had it all week. We'll have it throughout the remainder of this game week at lines247.com, where you've also had a ton of whiteout coverage still coming out from a recruiting perspective. I think Tyler Calvaruso finally went to bed after three or four straight days of not doing that. But uh, he earned some slumber. So did Brian. Brian Doan, and I encourage folks, I know it can get lost in the shuffle a little bit here with the episodes, and we have four of them during the weeks now in season, but Brian Doan broke down Penn State's uh, post-whiteout recruiting success with us for about a half hour 
on our Tuesday episode of this podcast. So the national recruiting analyst with 24 seven sports, the best in the business. Give that a listen. If you want to know what's going on in the recruiting world for the Nittany Lions right now, including comprehensive uh, breakdowns of each of their three new commitments that have come on board with that 2025 class on behalf of everyone at 24 seven sports, Penn state hub at Lions 24 seven. I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks for listening to the Lions 24 seven podcast. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.